Um, if you have a Bible with you and want to open that to 1 Corinthians 13, that's where we're going to be this morning, 1 Corinthians 13. Um, Pastor Sean was hoping to be able to preach this weekend and, of course, be a part of our child dedications. And some of you will remember that last week he shared his wife Leslie was not feeling well. Uh, and she has been on the mend, but as she has been on the mend, Pastor Sean was doing well until he wasn't. And so uh, now he's uh, got a little bit of an illness and he's going to be totally fine. We anticipate him being back in the pulpit next week, uh, but not for this weekend is still um, healing up. So you can be praying uh, for Pastor Sean and Leslie Thornton as they recover uh, and as they come back full swing into this Christmas season here. Uh, you heard earlier from Josh that it is, in fact, the first day of Advent. Uh, and as a church, we want to prepare our hearts for what's coming over the next four weeks as we head toward Christmas. And one of the ways you can do that is through our Take 5. The Take 5, for those of you who don't know, is a devotional that we put out every day. Um, and it is a scripture and then just a few little reflections, a devotion on that scripture where you can take five minutes to be with the Lord every day. And throughout the course of Advent, starting today, Pastor Sean Thornton has written some Advent devotionals that'll help prepare your heart for this season. So you can find that at calvarywestlake.org slash take five. Uh, if you have a QR code next to you, you can just scan that QR code and go to Advent devotionals. You can even sign up to have those delivered to your email each morning to start your day with those devotionals and I'd encourage you to do so. And then for us this morning, we'll, next week, we'll start our Christmas series that'll lead us up through Christmas Eve. Uh, but this morning, what we'll do is we will finish our series on 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 that we've done over the last few weeks. What we started by talking about the unity of the body and how the body of Christ is one body that God has brought together. And then we saw the diversity of the body last week and all the different gifts and abilities and spiritual gifts and talents that God has given to each of us, the diversity of the body. So the unity to the diversity, and then this week we're going to close this series by talking about the maturity of the body. How does the body of Christ, known here as Calvary Community Church, how do we grow in maturity? How do we grow to be more Christ-like? How do you as an individual Christian become more and more and more into the person God has called you to be? That's what we're going to look at this morning as we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It'll be a familiar passage to many of you. And yet here's my hope and my prayer for you this morning, that the Holy Spirit would use this to make you more like Jesus, to grow you in maturity as you follow after him. So again, 1 Corinthians 13, we'll start in verse 1. It'll be on the screens for those of you who don't have a Bible with you. It says this, If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. So if you've been tracking with us through this series, what you'll know is that in the church in Corinth, there was this issue going on. And they had been given these spiritual gifts, these abilities, this calling from God. And they had started to elevate that above the basic calling that God had put on their lives to love God and to love one another. And what Paul is giving us here is a corrective to that attitude that prizes your abilities and skills and passions above what God has called you toward in the love for each other and the love for him. And what Paul points out here is kind of an interesting thing if you look at it. What you'll notice is he talks about various people who have been given gifts of prophecy or of tongues. They have the ability to have faith that moves mountains. And yet what he's pointing out is that it's actually possible to have all of these giftings, all of these abilities, and yet miss the main point of what God is trying to do. It's possible that you know exactly what this is like in your own life or you've been part of a church where you've seen people walk through this 
Maybe you know of a Christian who raises his or her hands in worship, and every time they're singing, their hands are up in the air, and yet they never use those same hands to serve the people in this world who need help. But maybe you know of Christians, maybe you've been this yourself, who could tell you all the Greek words for love. They could parse all the different ways that love is described in the New Testament, and yet they never actually go love other people. Maybe you've known Christians who could tell you all about the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. They could tell you all the different sacrifices in the book of Leviticus, but they've never actually sacrificed financially for anyone. See, what can really quickly happen for churches in the ancient world and in the modern world is that we can get really excited about things that are ultimately not the main point. It is possible. It is possible for us to be a people who get excited about all kinds of things, but miss the point. I'll say it this way. It's possible to call yourself a Christian, but to not live in love like Jesus. It is possible to call yourself a Christian and come to church over and over, week after week, and never actually be formed into the image and the likeness of Jesus. It's possible to call yourself a Christian, but not live in love like Jesus well, like, let me put it to you this way. I want you to imagine that Thanksgiving week is over and you've kind of come to Sunday and then you wake up Monday morning and you decide that things aren't right. You, you spent all of Thanksgiving week lounging around, watching football, eating food. You feel terrible and you want to get yourself back to the gym and get in shape. And so you decide it's Cyber Monday, which is a great opportunity for you to buy all the best deals on all the fitness gear. And so you buy the best shorts and the best shoes and a cool shirt, a headband and headphones, a little shaker cup, a water bottle. You've got the whole gear. You've got the look. You get up early the next morning, you go into the gym, you're the first one there. You walk in, you look like you're ready to work out, and the first thing you do is sit on a bench and watch TV for about an hour. And then after that, you're kind of exhausted, so you go get yourself a protein shake at the, at the, at the mini bar thing, and you go there, and you get the protein shake, and then you decide to go sit in the sauna, because why not? And then you kind of wander around the gym, and you go home. And you go back the next day, and you do that same pattern, and you do that over and over and over again. Here's what you know that you will never actually get in shape doing anything like that. That that will be a wonderful experience of you looking like you're going to the gym because you are, but you are actually missing the point because here's what all of us get intuitively, that you can nail the presentation, but miss the point, right? You can nail the presentation. You can look like you've had it all together and yet actually miss the point. And what's true for the gym is actually true for spirituality. It's true for what it means to follow Jesus. You can nail the presentation, you can show up at church every week. You can raise your hands in the air. You can talk like Christians talk and dress like Christians dress and do all the things we do and present yourself to the world, but actually miss the point. So this is what Paul is rebuking the Corinthians for. They have the whole presentation down. Everything looks right, but they're missing the point. And what is the point of coming to church? What's the point of following after Jesus? What's the point of worshiping, of Bible study, of all the different things we do around here? What is the point? It's simple. The point is to live and love like Jesus. That's the point, that you would be formed into the image and the likeness of God's son, Jesus, that you would be made more like him every day for the rest of your life. The point of you being a Christian is not just to show up over and over again and have the appearance down. It is that each year you would be more like Jesus than you were a year ago. This is Paul's point to the Corinthians and our point to focus on this morning. This morning, I want to talk about it this way. I want to give you seven ways to know you are walking in love. Seven ways to know that you are being formed into the image and the likeness of Jesus, that you are walking and living and loving more like him. You'll see this through a very familiar text of 1 Corinthians 13. The first one is this in verse 4. It says this, that love is patient and love is kind. 
Love is patient and love is kind. Now, Paul describes love and the first two things he says are patient and kind. And that's not maybe what I would have chosen. I would have said love is service or love is sacrifice or love is deep affection or care for someone, but that's not what he says. He says the first thing that love is, is love is patient. And what a good reminder for those of us who are married today that love means being patient with your spouse. For those of us who are parents, it's good to remember almost every day, perhaps every hour, that it is love is to be patient with our children, to be patient with your colleagues, to be patient with your boss, to be patient with your church, to be patient with your friends. Love is patience. And the first way I know that I'm walking in love is this. I know I am walking in love when my patience is being tested. Now, this may seem backwards to you, because you may think if your patience is getting tested and your blood is starting to boil and you're starting to lose patience, then that means you're unloving. But I want to frame that in a different way for you. When your patience is being stretched, it is an opportunity for you to grow in love. The ways and the time we grow in love is when our patience is being tested. When no one's testing your patience, when no one's pushing your buttons, when it's never difficult, there's not opportunity for you to grow. But the way I grow in love is when my patience is being tested. I'll put it this way. This week for Thanksgiving, uh, we have a tradition as a family. We started a number of years ago flying out to see my wife's sister in Nashville, Tennessee. And so my wife and I and our five-year-old Grace and our two-year-old Noah and our nine-month-old Hope, we got on a plane and went and visited my wife's sister and stayed at their house for the week. So we brought our three kids And in that family, there is a four-year-old, a two-year-old, a one-year-old, and a one-week-old. Yeah, yeah. We had seven babies under the age of six in the house. It was epic. It was so fun. Oh my goodness, it was laughter and it was smiles. But also, you wanna talk about having your patience tested, your buttons pushed. It was like in every moment, someone needed a diaper change. Someone needed a snack. Someone needed to go outside. Someone else needed to go inside. Someone else needed to change the TV channel. There was never a moment where our patience wasn't being tested. And in the moments where I was just frustrated and wanting them to leave me alone, man, I failed in those moments. But in the moments where my patience was being tested and I chose to love anyway, that's how love grows in us. So the next time your patience is being tested, I want you to reframe and say, this is a moment where I can grow to be more like Jesus. What an opportunity for me. Paul, the very first words he says about love is that love is patient. The second he says that love is kind. Like there's actually a kindness to love. Love is not this stern, cruel, mean, harsh thing in this world. Love is kind. And if we're going to be a people who are defined by love and growing in love, we need to be a people who are marked by kindness. A people who are kind, not just to kind people. Listen, that's the easiest thing in the world, to be kind to kind people. Like this last week, I spent Thanksgiving in the South. Do you know everyone there is just so pleasant when you interact? You just like pay for a coffee. They're like, thank you, bless your heart. I'm like, bless your heart. You know, like, it's the best. When you're kind to kind people, like that's the easiest thing in the world. But you know when I know I'm growing in love? I know that I am walking in love when I'm kind to the unkind. That's when I know I'm growing in love. When I am kind to people who are not being kind to me, who are being rude or condescending or even just kind of obstructive to me or not being very kind or pleasant to me at all. Like I had this experience this last week that I would not even wish on my worst enemy. Uh, And that was the endless cycle of calling. Maybe some of you have done this where you have to call your insurance company to deal with something. Now, my deepest apologies if you work in insurance, but but this particular experience was not very good for me. It was kind of the endless loop of like, well, you got to do this and then you got to call this, wait two weeks, you know, just that kind of thing. And so I'm on the phone with this guy and I got to tell you, like I was not in that moment, like, okay, this guy on the other 
brother into the, he's a child of God, beloved of him, let me look. No, I was like mad because he was in my way and I was frustrated. But here's the reminder I have to have in those moments. Like the scriptures aren't like be kind to one another unless they happen to be an insurance agent. It's not be kind to one another unless it happens to be a business dealing. Be kind to one another unless they happen to be withholding something you need. No, what I've got to be is I've got to be kind in every moment with my family, with my relationships, with my church, in the business, when I'm a professional, with my direct reports, the people who work for me. I've got to be kind with everyone. You might say, Brian, that's naive. It's naive to be kind in the business world. You'll get rolled. And here's what I want you to know. It's not naive. It's following Jesus. And Jesus is not naive. Now listen, being kind doesn't mean we get pushed over. It doesn't mean we get walked all over. Like I got this insurance claim resolved and I had to push and push and push and be firm and not back down. So being kind doesn't mean you're a pushover. It doesn't mean you never push back. It never doesn't mean you never assert your rights, but it does mean that we have to be a people who are kind in every circumstance because love is patient and love is kind. I know I'm walking in love when I'm kind to the unkind. It goes on this way in verse four. It says, it does not envy, does not boast. It is not proud. All three of these, envying and boasting and pride has to do with me and centering my world around myself. Envy says, I want what you have. I just wish I had what you had. Boasting, boasting is look how how much I have. Look how great I am. Look how wonderful my life is. And pride says, look how strong I am. Look how self-sufficient I am. Look how I've got it all together. All three of these things, envying and boasting and being proud, are all about me. And if we're going to walk in love, it means we do the opposite. We ultimately deny ourselves. Self-denial is the way we walk in love where it's not all about me and my wants and my desires. So here's when I know I'm walking in love. I know I'm walking in love when self-denial is a blessing, not a burden. Like there are going to be moments throughout your life that you have to deny yourself and do things you don't want to do. You're asked to do things you don't want to do all the time. And I know I'm not walking in love when that becomes just this burden to me and I have to do something that I don't want to do and I'm just down and and resentful and bitter about it. And I know I'm walking in love when that is a blessing for me. Uh, Let me put it to you this way. So uh, we flew home from Nashville on Friday and we flew home and um, here's what we all know. We all know you you come home, there's a two hour time difference, jet lag, the whole bit. As adults, we kind of process that well. I want you to know five-year-olds, two-year-olds and nine months don't process that at all. Um, So they had no clue what was going on. They were just cranky and mad and upset. And so we're trying to just get through the day and we put them all down to bed and we expected it to not be a great night, but that is a wild understatement. Like train wreck would have been a generous description of Friday night in our home. So train wreck Friday night, kids aren't sleeping. They're up all night and it's like 3.30 in the morning. My daughter's crying out again. Uh, Hope, my nine month old is just crying out. So Danny turns to me and says, I've been up a few times. Would you mind just going in to feed her? So I get a bottle, get it all situated, go into her room. I feed her. I I try to comfort her. I put her down. I lock out the door. I go back into bed and, and my wife rolls over and just says, thank you so much for doing that. Now, I want you in in this moment to imagine two responses I could have given to her. The first is she rolls over and says, thank you so much for doing that. And I just put my hand up and say, say no more. It is my duty as a husband. I had to. (laughs) (laughs) You know that wouldn't have gone well, right? Not for me and not for her. She would not have felt loved. If I just said, no, it was what I was supposed to do. I denied myself and that's all I have to say, right? Like that wouldn't have not gone well, right? But, but imagine instead she rolls over and says, thank you so much for doing that. And I look at her and I say, you are so welcome. I'm so happy to do that. Like, I'm just so happy to do that for you. 
Like in that moment where I say, I'm so happy to do that, my wife is not gonna look at me and be like, oh yeah, it's all about your happiness, huh? Like that's not how she's gonna respond. She will hear that I was happy, I was blessed to do this and she will feel more loved. This is the truth about love. When we do actions, when we deny ourselves out of just duty and that's what I'm supposed to do, it actually is not us growing in love. I know I'm growing in love when I do things I don't wanna do, not out of resentment or bitterness, but out of joy. When I am genuinely happy to do something for someone else, I know I'm growing in love. That's why Paul is going to say that it's not envy, it's not boasting, it's not proud, it's not about me at all. That's how I know I'm growing in love. In verse five it says, it being love does not dishonor others. It doesn't dishonor others. Maybe you grew up reading a translation that said love is not rude. It's not rude, it's not condescending, it's not harsh, it's not mean. And there's this weird thing that's happened over the last number of years. Even in Christian circles, as our culture has gotten more harsh and mean and cruel and destructive and insulting toward one another, it's just broken my heart to see Christians, people who call themselves followers of Jesus, who stand upon the word, who believe many of the same things I believe, decide to be rude and condescending, to use insults, like they're like second grade, like just insulting people who don't agree with them. Who you take this burn it all to the ground approach because if you disagree with me on theology or if you disagree with me on politics or if you disagree with me on any of the issues in our culture right now, I'm gonna speak down to you. I'm gonna be harsh with you because I'm right and you're wrong. And I want you to know that if your heartbeat is, I can insult people as long as I'm right and they're wrong, you are not following after Jesus. To follow after Jesus is to be the person who says, love is not rude. Love does not dishonor others. How do I know I'm walking in love? I know I'm walking in love when I can disagree without disparaging. When I can look at someone who disagrees with me politically or theologically or personally or socially, and I can disagree, I can even disagree strongly, but I'm not going to disparage them. I'm not going to insult them. I'm not going to talk down to them. I'm not going to be vicious with them. When I can disagree with someone socially, when I can disagree with someone in a work setting without disparaging them, I know I'm walking in love. Love does not dishonor others. It is not rude. That is not how we operate as Christians. In verse five, it says it is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. And this is this great list because honestly, this is exactly the way you would wanna be treated by other people in your world. Like think about your family. Many of you hung out with family this last week. You spent time in Thanksgiving. Maybe this Christmas you'll spend time with family. Isn't this exactly how you want your family to treat you? Not self-seeking, like you would like your family to actually think about your wants and your needs and what's going on in your life. Not easily angered, like isn't this what you want from your family? You would prefer they don't fly off the handle at every little small provocation, every little thing that goes slightly wrong. And it keeps no records of wrongs. Like, isn't this what you want from your family? You want your family to be the type of people who doesn't hold every little thing against you for all of eternity? Like, that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Love is not this type of thing. In fact, Jesus is gonna say it this way. He says that this is it, that you would love, that you would do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So here's number five. I know I'm walking in love when I'm willing to do what I would have others do to me. Like, I know I'm growing in love when I'm willing to actually do that. So do you think of love not being easily angered? Like one of the things you could do is if your family said something, someone in your family this week around the table or around watching football said something that just stirred you up. You, you could just kind of hope that they wouldn't be angry at you. Maybe you could let go of that. 
Maybe instead of when you get together with family, trying to measure up everything and make sure everyone's paying an equal amount, that you would just seek after them and be generous. Or the scripture here says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Isn't it remarkable how good your family is at being bookkeepers of everything bad that's ever been said in your family? Just my family, not yours? Okay, cool. But it's like, she said this seven years ago, and 17 years ago, he said that. But 28 years ago, he said that. And you just like have all of these records of every bad thing that's ever been said or done. And here's the invitation for you this Thanksgiving and Christmas season. What if this was the year you just closed the books? And just said, we're done with this. We're just going to forgive one another. We're going to move on. We're going to say, that wounded me, that hurt me, and yet I've forgiven you, and let's be friends. Let's move on. Let's love one another well. What would you want them to do to you? Would you want them to pick up the phone and call and say, I'm so sorry for what I did. How can I make things better? Would that bless you? Then you should go do the same thing. Pick up the phone before today is over, before the sun sets. Call the person. Say, I'm sorry for what happened. How can I make things right? How can I make things better? I know I'm growing in love when I'm willing to do what I wish others would do for me. Verse six says this, it says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. One of the things we must know about love is this, that love does not delight in evil. It does not delight in sin. The great lie our culture perpetuates about love is that if you love someone, you must affirm every decision they have ever made, that you must constantly affirm them and constantly tell them what they're doing is right. And that is a lie. Love does not rejoice in evil. It rejoices in the truth. So when we are loving someone, we must be a people who are willing to speak the truth. We must be a person who are, we people who are willing to delight in the truth. Listen, number six, I know I'm walking in love when I graciously speak the uncomfortable truth. In our lives, in our small group, in our church, in our families, wherever we are, there are gonna be moments where you need to speak up and say something that is true, even though it is uncomfortable. And when we graciously speak that, I don't mean burn it all to the ground, insult them, say horrible things about them. I don't mean be rude or destroy the relationship. I just mean graciously and kindly and patiently explain how you see things in their life, in their relationships, to tell them what's going on. When we speak the uncomfortable truth, that is us walking in love. Because here's what we all need to understand. This is true for our small groups, for our friends, for our families, for everyone in our life. If you are lying to someone, you are not loving them. If you are lying to someone, if someone has destructive, unhealthy patterns in their life, and instead of trying to guide them out of it, you just affirm it and allow it to go on, you are not loving them. You are not helping them. Because love, love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. In verse seven, it goes on to our final one. It says this, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And I love this verse seven here because it describes the only way that relationships between human beings can actually work. So so here's what you need to recognize about human beings. And we forget this sometimes, uh, that everyone in your family is a broken human being who is sinful and in need of God's grace. Everyone in your phone, everyone in your network of extended people or business contacts or everyone in this church, we're all the same. We're these broken people who are trying to figure out relationships together. And if you've forgotten that, just from time to time, look in the mirror and remind yourself that you are broken too. And the only way relationships last is if broken people decide we're gonna protect anyway, we're gonna trust anyway, we're gonna hope anyway, we're gonna persevere anyway. So so here's what we need to do in, in the midst of relationship. People are gonna let us down. They're gonna frustrate us. They're gonna say or not say things they shouldn't have said or needed to say. There are gonna be things that happen in the course of relationship. And what do we need to do? 
We need to be a people who assume the best in others. Listen, I know I'm walking in love when I assume the best in the absence of information. So, so like when something happens in the midst of one of your relationships and you're not even sure why it's happening, the worst thing you can do is jump to the worst possible assumption. So like, here's what happens. Maybe it's never happened in your marriage. It's never happened in mine, of course. But I want to describe a situation. You go onto your online billing statement and you see a major charge that has been charged to your credit card, but it wasn't from you. It was from your spouse, Right? And, and, and your immediate thought is, and I'm sure they had a good reason. I'm sure they just didn't mention it to me because they just forgot. Like you don't go to the benefit of the doubt and the best possible assumption. All you jump to is like, of course you would do that, right? And this is what happens in us. But in the absence of information, let's be a people who protect, who trust, who love, who persevere, who say, I'm going to not just assume the worst, when you hear something going on at the church, when you hear something going on in your small group, when you hear something going on in your company or your organization, the impulse is to go to the worst possible case scenario rather than to say, I'm gonna trust, I'm gonna hope, I'm gonna persevere, I'm gonna protect. I don't have all the facts, but I'm not going to jump to the worst possible conclusion. See, uh, Jeannie Duck says it this way. We love this phrase. It's been so helpful for me recently. Uh, it's this phrase. It's that in the absence of information, people will connect the dots in the most pathological way possible. <laughs> don't you find that to be true in your life? Like something happens, you don't have all the information. You go, well, of course, the worst possible scenario is what's going on here. But that is not what love is. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. And that's what God has called us toward. In verse eight, it says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. And where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part what we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part will disappear. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and I shall know fully even as I am fully known. So what Paul's doing here is he's reminding the Corinthians that these spiritual gifts they have, these abilities God has given them to build up the church and bless the world, it's only for a season. It's just for a small amount of time. It doesn't last forever. What Paul is teaching here is there's actually gonna come a time where spiritual gifts are no longer in play, where the call of God on our life is no longer to build up the church and to bless the world. And when is that gonna happen? He tells us exactly when that's gonna happen in verse 10. It says, when the completeness comes. So some of your translations may say when the perfect comes or when maturity comes. So there's going to come a time that this perfect, mature, complete moment comes and spiritual gifts will be no more. And when is that time? Well, in verse 12, I read that we shall see him face to face. Meaning that spiritual gifts will cease to be in operation in your life. You will stop having the call of building up the church and blessing the world when Jesus Christ returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. And until that day, you have a mission, you have a task. God has given you a job to do. And that job is to use your gifts, your abilities, your talents, your passions and your time and your money and your resources to build up the body of Christ, the church, so that we might be a blessing to the world. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 25. He says, the kingdom of God is like this. It'll be like a man who goes on a journey, who calls his servants and entrusted to them his property. He gave to one five talents and to another two and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. And this is what Jesus has done. Jesus has left his church with gifts and passions and talents and abilities and resources and time and everything we need to be built up as a body so we can be a blessing to the world. 
And what season of history are we living in? It's these last words here. It says, then he went away. Jesus went away and he's coming back and he has expectations on all of us. And the expectation is that he would use what he has given to us to build up the body and to be a blessing to the world. He's coming back and he has expectations. It's like this. So a couple weeks ago, uh, my wife was out for the night. And so I had all three kids uh, to put down to bed all by myself. It was a wonderful disaster. Um, the house was a mess. Everything was chaotic. And, and so what's happening, it's around time for my youngest to go down to bed. And I got her and I'm about to go up the stairs. And I say to my other two kids, the house is a mess. I'm going to go put Hope down to bed. You two clean up the downstairs. I go up the stairs, I feed a bottle to my child, I put her down, I sing over her, I pray over her, I close the door, I come back down the stairs, I come into the living room, and question, you know the answer to this, was the living room clean? Of course it wasn't. It was a total disaster. And so I look to find my kids, perhaps they're still working at it just at a slower pace than I imagined. Perhaps they just haven't gotten to this part of the living room, but of course that wasn't the case either. I end up finding my children, both of them are laying on the ground staring at the ceiling. I come to confront them on the fact that they are not, in fact, cleaning the living room. They are laying on the ground, staring at the ceiling to ask them what in the world happened. And my two-year-old has no coherent answer, but the five-year-old speaks up and she says this. She goes, Daddy, I'm just tired. (laughs) And I understand because it's hard being five, but I'm looking at her going, you're about to go to bed. You're about to be able to deal with the tired thing. You had one mission to do. You had one job to do. You were supposed to clean this up. I came back. You weren't doing it. Why? Because you're tired. And here's my question for all of us this morning. Maybe this is a question for some of you that the Holy Spirit wants to use this morning. Have you become a sleepy Christian? Have you become that? Have you become a Christian who at one point in your life used your gifts and your passions and your ability, was all in on building up the local body of Christ, but now you've become sleepy? disengaged, like my kids laying on the ground, staring at the ceiling, complaining that they're tired. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus is coming back one day and it's gonna matter what we did with the gifts and the passions and the ability he gave us. We will be held responsible for what we did with what he gave us. And my question is, have you become a sleepy Christian who's fallen down on the job? And what are you going to do to change that, to wake up, to get engaged, to be involved? And what God has for us. See, here's how it closes in verse 13. It says, and now three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love is because the other two won't be needed for all of eternity. Do you know in heaven, you're not gonna need faith anymore? You'll see God face to face. Faith won't be the thing you need. In heaven, you won't need hope anymore because our hope will be realized in heaven in glory and resurrection. But love, love will continue to grow for all of eternity. A hundred trillion years from now, our love will still be growing, our love for one another and our love for God. Love remains because love is the greatest. That's why as a church, we talk about living and loving like Jesus and we define it with three words of love. The first is this, that we say it's about loving God more. It's about having this vertical relationship where we love God more. The second is we love God's family more. We love the family of God, the brothers and sisters in Christ who are here, part of Calvary. And finally, we love our neighbor more. We love folks who don't know God or far from God, but live in our community who we wish to minister to and introduce to Jesus Christ. The goal is for each of us to grow in love. The goal is for each of us to grow in more of the love of Jesus Christ. See, this familiar passage we worked through this morning, one of the great things to remember is that this passage can start to define and shape how we operate as a church, how you operate as a family, and how we operate as individuals. Like, let me put 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 up here again, but you'll notice some words missing. And it's the word love. 
Because if we want to operate like Jesus, here's the really cool thing to recognize. that You could put Jesus' name in every single blank there. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. He doesn't boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. And you could walk through this text and understand how Jesus loves you and the way that the love of God is shown through you through Jesus Christ. But you want to know a more challenging way to look at this passage? Put your own name in there. Brian is patient. Brian is kind. Brian doesn't envy. He doesn't boast. I go down. Brian does not dishonor others. Brian is not self-seeking. Brian is not easily angered. Brian keeps no record of wrongs. I just start to read that and I have to start laughing because that's not me. Like I know me well enough to know that that's not a description of me. If anyone was like, tell me about Brian Howard. No one's going to do that. And yet here's what we need to know. Like as a follower of Jesus, I should be able to look at that every single year. A year from now, I should look at that and that should be a little less humorous to me because it should be a little more true of me. It should be a little more true 10 years of me that this describes me, that my name could be in there. And it's never gonna be perfect until I'm with Jesus in glory, but there should be something about me that says I am becoming more and more and more a person of love every year of my life. And the same should be true for you. That at some point you should be able to put your name in there and say, you know what? I'm not where I should be, but by God's grace, I'm not where I was. So how do we grow into this? How do we grow into love? I wanna close my sermon by giving you five steps of love to take by the end of 2022. So this is not everything you could possibly do. This is just five real practical, simple steps for you. If you're going, you know what? Um, I've been a sleepy Christian. Just maybe I just went through that whole thing and the sleepy Christian thing just hits you like a ton of bricks. You're going, that's me. Some of you, this is not you at all. But for those of you who said, you know what? I've been asleep on the job. What are some things I could do? Let me give you five. Number one, buy a toy for the Calvary Christmas shop. We have about 1,600 toys that have come in so far for the Christmas shop and praise God for that. And thank you to those of you who have given a toy. What an amazing thing for kids in this area. But we need about 1,000 more toys. Uh, and that Christmas toy drive ends today. So here's what I want to recommend to you. If you're like, I got to do that, that's me. Here's what I want you to know. We are here at Calvary Community Church. About six feet that way is a Target, okay? And so drive off campus, go get a toy at Target, bring it back, drop it in the box. We would be so encouraged to be able to bless kids in this community. And if you have kids or grandkids with you, it's the coolest thing to do with them. We did this with our kids a couple of weeks ago. We went to Target, we bought a toy, and we had them carry it into the church and actually go up to the box and you could see their little fingers wrapped around because they wanted this toy. And to see them actually like pry their fingers apart and drop into the box, man, isn't that cool? So if you've got kids, go do that with them. Show what it means to take something they would want and give it away. Number one, buy a toy for the Calvary Christmas shop. Number two, sign up to serve with Calvary sometime this Christmas season. Um, on your QR codes, you can sign up there. It's real easy, just opportunities to serve for Christmas. For those of you online, uh, you can go to calvarywestlake.org slash love. Uh, there are opportunities to serve at Star of Wonder, at our Christmas Eve services, and a lot of the various events and services happening. Maybe right now you're not engaged at all, and this is just a small first step for you to take this Christmas season. I want to encourage you to sign up to serve with Calvary this Christmas, to lean in with your church family. Number three, would you bring someone with you to a Calvary service or event just before the end of the year? Do you know that there are tens of thousands of people who have never been to a church in our valley? There are tens of thousands of people who maybe at one point in their life went to church and somehow they just kind of fell away. And for you to invite them would just be the biggest blessing potentially to them and potentially for their eternity. Do you know there are people who have just moved to the Conejo Valley in the last two years and just haven't found a church family yet and haven't found a fit and maybe they move right next door to you and God puts you in that house so you can invite them to church? 
Just wanna invite you to bring someone with you to a service, to an event, to Star of Wonder, Handel's Messiah, Christmas Eve, amazing opportunities. Number four, I wanna encourage you and challenge you to start giving to this or any church. Um, some of you are guests this weekend and you have a home church somewhere else in another part of the country and I just wanna encourage you to keep giving to that church. Some of you um, aren't sure that Calvary is your home church and this is not for you right now. If Calvary's not your home church and you're given to another place and go to another place, praise God, keep being generous there. But if Calvary is your home church, I just wanna continue to encourage and challenge you to say, I'm in. I'm not just in with my feet, I'm in with my wallet. I'm in together with what God is doing through this church that we love as we give. Uh, I've challenged you before, if you're not giving anything at all, to just say, I'm gonna start giving a dollar a week for a year. Like that's not gonna break you and yet it's gonna start to build that generosity muscle in you. I wanna challenge you between now and the end of the year to become a giver, someone who gives to the work of the Lord through the local church. And then finally, number five, would you lean in with a small group, a ministry, a team, or a leadership role here at Calvary? Again, some of you may have become a sleepy Christian where you're just kind of on your back, staring at the ceiling going, all right, what comes next? Here's your call. Here's your invitation. Here's your sign. Here's your moment. This is it. Lean in. Be a part of what God is doing through this church because if God is going to accomplish all he wants to accomplish in Calvary 2030, over this next decade, it's gonna take all of us leaning in together, using the gifts and passions and talents and abilities God has given us. It's going to take all of us loving the way Jesus loved. Hedden Robinson says this, he says, love is the thing which if a church has it, it doesn't really need much else. And if it doesn't have it, whatever else it has really doesn't matter very much. Calvary, that's true for us. If we don't love one another, if we don't love God, if we don't live in love like him, if we don't abandon all of the other things that we could be about and focus instead on loving God, loving God's family and loving our neighbors, nothing else matters very much. But here's the beautiful thing about Calvary Community Church. That's not true for us. We are people who love one another, who love our neighbors and who love our God. And thank God for that because that's what Jesus is all about. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning and thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to open it and to be challenged and stirred to be a people of love. God, help us to be patient and to be kind. Help us to be a people who always persevere, who always protect, always hope, always trust. God, turn us into a people of love. Make us more like Jesus next year than we are right now. Father, I pray over this Christmas season that you would grow our love to levels that we've never been to yet. Would you do miracles in and through each of us, our families, our church. God, would you show yourself to be strong. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen.